Thank you, Bill, and thank you, everyone else as well. Jenna and Everett, and I appreciate all of your, your prayers and your support and your friendship as well. So it's good to see you all and to be here this morning uh, sharing God's Word with you. If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open that up to Matthew chapter 4. That's what we'll be reading from in just a few moments. Um, and if you don't have a Bible with you, we'll also have the, the text on the screen as well. Am I sounding a little bit echoey? Raise your hand if I don't sound okay. <laughs> There's a little girl in, in the back. <laughs> One of the certainties of life is we will face temptation. Every single one of us here this morning has faced temptation of some kind. I can be certain of that. I myself have faced temptation. Every single one of us this week has faced temptation. Whether it's the, the smaller temptations, when uh, someone cuts you off while you're driving and there's the temptation to say a choice word. There's the, the temptation to tell a small lie to to avoid some larger trouble. Then there's bigger temptations as well. Temptations that if we gave in to them, then actually they would have life-changing consequences. And temptations come to everyone. They come to men and to women. They come to the old and to the young. Studies have shown that the majority of people who see pornography don't look for it at first. The average age of exposure is 9 to 11 years old. Uh, all of us are tempted in some ways. We may be tempted in different ways, but we have in common that we face temptation, each and every one of us. And you can have the strongest faith, and you will still be tempted. John Owen, who is an English theologian living in the 1600s, once said, Steadfastness in believing doesn't exclude all temptations. You can have the strongest faith, and yet you will still be tempted. Uh, John Owen says, Steadfastness in believing doesn't exclude all temptations. When we say a tree is firmly planted, we don't say that the wind never blows on it. You can be a pastor and you will still face temptation. I'm sorry if this is news to you, Bill. You can be uh, the holiest person who ever lived and still face temptation. You can even be the Son of God and still face temptation. And that's exactly what we see in our passage this morning. It shows us what happened when Jesus encountered the devil. It's our title. More specifically, it shows us what happened when Jesus was tempted by the devil. And so what can we learn about responding to temptation from Jesus? And what can we even learn about Jesus himself? And what can we learn about the devil, about who he is? And what can we learn about how he tempts us? You know, if you want to be able to resist fight against an opponent, then you will study their technique as much as possible so you won't be surprised, you won't be caught off guard, and you'll be able to combat them. If a boxer has a major fight coming up, then he'll watch videos of his opponent over and over again, and he'll look out for 
okay, what are their strengths? Uh, what are their weaknesses? What moves do they like? Uh, how have they been defeated before? And it's the same for us. The Apostle Paul says to the church in Corinth that he is familiar with Satan's evil schemes. And this passage shows us what one of those or some of those schemes are so that we can be familiar as well. What does he do? How does he tempt? So this morning isn't just a message on temptation. There's a variety of different temptations. They come from within ourselves. They come from others. They come from the world. But in this passage, we do see some of the temptations we face. Some of the tactics that Satan uses against us. And also we see information about the one who tempts us and the one who resisted temptation. So let's go ahead and read from Matthew chapter 4 together. And if you're able to, please stand with me in, in recognition that this is God's Word. The translation on the screen is the ESV. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to them, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Lord, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear this morning. That you would show us what this passage says, what it means, and how to apply it to our own lives. We thank you that your spirit is here with us. And we open ourselves to what you have to say to us this morning, Lord. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat. So first, who is this being that Jesus meets? Who is the devil? We see him referred to with a number of different titles throughout Scripture. He is the evil one. He is the great dragon. He is the serpent. But within this passage, we see three different titles that he's used, uh, that he's referred to with. First, in verse 3, what does it call him? The tempter, yeah. It's no big secret what one of the big themes of this passage is. In different 
translations, you'll have a heading for this, this section of Scripture. Uh, one might say, the testing of Jesus in the wilderness. Another one simply says, the test. But by far the most common is the temptation of Jesus. Uh, that's what this passage is all about. Jesus meeting the tempter, the one who deliberately entices to sin. The one who tests with the intention of causing someone to fail. Imagine taking a test designed by someone who wants you to fail. Imagine taking a driving test. The instructor sitting next to you is willing you to fail. That's what it's like having the devil for you. He wants you to fail. He's the tempter. The second title that we see him refer to is the one we've been using already, the devil. This is the one, the title that he's referred to most commonly in this passage. And at its root, it means the slanderer. In John's gospel, Jesus calls the devil the father of lies. And we even see in the very first encounter with him, in Genesis 3. That's what marks him apart. He is a liar. He spreads lies, the slanderer. The third title that's used to describe him is Satan in verse 10. Jesus says, be gone, Satan. And at its root, it means the adversary or the enemy. So who is this being that Jesus meets? He's the tempter. He's the liar, the great liar, and he's the enemy of God and, and God's people. That's who Jesus encounters. That's the one who tempts Jesus. And we see throughout the rest of the passage that he more than lives up to his names through what he does. Read verse 2 with me. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. You know, I, I kind of love that passage. I think Matthew's kind of, um, you know, spelling out the obvious. A little bit of an understatement. I think I generally get hungry after not eating for about four hours. So, um, can't really imagine what 40 days would be like. I remember growing up and watching cartoons. And inevitably, there would be one episode where a character gets really hungry. And they're starving and they get more and more hungry. And something weird happens. They'll kind of look across at their friend, and instead of their friend, there's a, a hamburger talking back at them. Or, or, or maybe there's a dancing chicken drumstick or something. And uh, apparently this has a name. It's called Meat-O-Vision, according to the internet, which is such a reliable source of information. <laughs> so, someone has gone to the trouble to write an entire article on Meat-O-Vision. And this is what they say. A character has been suffering from hunger for days or weeks and begins to hallucinate. Is that a delicious steak dinner, a giant hot dog, or a large roast fowl sitting right next to him? No, it's one of their friends who is now staring back at him oddly, wondering, why are you looking at me like that? Fortunately, the article also clarifies, despite the name, Metovision doesn't just uh, apply to any, for just to meat. Also applies to any kind of food, in case you are worried about that. You know, if Jesus was in a cartoon, I think he would have had meat-o-vision at this point. 
Uh, I think he would have seen maybe the animals in the wilderness running around as, as a chicken drumstick or so. And what's the first thing that Jesus is tempted with? What's the first thing that the devil tempts Jesus with? Food. Bread. He doesn't tempt Jesus with money or, or with drugs. He's been fasting for 40 days and he goes straight for his weak spot. The devil tempts us at our weakest and with our weakness. There's the, the timing of the temptation and then there's also the, the type of temptation as well. Notice the combination of these two things. He's tempted after he fasts for 40 days, the timing. And he's tempted with bread, the type of temptation. And this makes for a particularly difficult, particularly potent kind of temptation. When do you get meat or vision? And what do you see when you get it? When are you at your weakest? And what's your weaknesses? Because the devil loves to take advantage of these. And so we need to be aware of them ourselves. Something that Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous really understand. The idea of being tempted with your weakness and at your weakest. And it's true, we see the devil using those tactics as well. The second tactic that we see the devil using is that he distorts what is good. Food is good. Bread is good. This passage isn't teaching us there's something inherently wrong with bread. Although if you're doing the keto diet, you may believe that. There's nothing inherently wrong with bread or with food. But the devil wants him to use his power to selfishly provide for himself. There's nothing wrong with Scripture, but we see the devil using it to manipulate Jesus or to attempt to manipulate him. He takes something good and then he, he twists it into something bad. He tries to use good things for evil purposes. And really that's at the heart of temptation. Taking a good thing that God has given to us out of what he intended it for, out of the context of what he intended it for. But the devil also works the other way around as well. Paul says, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. He takes something bad and he'll disguise it, mask it as something good. It's in his very nature to twist and distort which also relates to the next thing that he does. The devil promises what he cannot ultimately deliver. It's said that the best lies are actually half-truths. They're not completely false, but they're Seriously, it's microphones. I'm sorry if this is my fault, I apologize. The best lies are half-truths. Uh, back in May, a couple of months ago, my family and I visited my family back in England, my, my parents and siblings, and uh, we had the chance to go away for uh, a week as a family, all staying in the same place, 
with, with five kids, and that was interesting. I don't think we slept too much. Um, and there was one morning when my sister came downstairs, and all the kids had woken up, and um, she, she saw them eating sugar cubes. And so there was Oakley and Teddy and Jimmy, which is her three, and then kind of off in the corner to the side was Corey, who's my, my brother's son. And so my, my sister's kind of like, okay, like, okay, since all of my kids have, hey, Corey, like, have you had a sugar cube? Like, do you want one? <laughs> and, and Corey says, no, I haven't. Um, I actually had two, though. He's like, hmm, the best lies are those half-truths. He could have gone away with that. That's quite a technicality. I haven't had one, technically. The best lies are half-truths. You know, you look at Genesis chapter 3, the very first time the devil appears. And again, what does he say to Eve? Did God actually say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And there's an element of truth. God did say, don't eat from a tree in the garden. But it wasn't any tree, it was one tree. That's the half-truth, that's the deceit in there, that's, that's the twist. And then in this passage, what does he promise Jesus? Verse 9, all these kingdoms I will give to you, if you just fall down and, and worship me. And in a sense... That's true. Uh, elsewhere in Scripture, it says, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. But in a greater sense, God is the one who's sovereign, who's in control. He, he's the one that's allowed the devil to have some power for the time being, but will ultimately one day take it away again. And, and so ultimately, in any lasting sense, the devil can't deliver what he's promised Jesus. Think of the types of temptations that we face in this world. The temptation to have an affair with the promise it will make you happier. And it might for a time. And then ultimately, it doesn't. The temptation to store up wealth with the promise it will make you feel more secure with no recognition of the life to come or the, the uncertainty of this life. Uh, temptations are usually half-truths. They're not straight-up lies. They might deliver for a time, and then ultimately every single one of them fail to come through and leave us disappointed in a worse place than before. And fourth, the devil relies on impatience. It's interesting to, lead, to read the very last verse of this passage. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. The second temptation that Jesus had to, to summon angels uh, to himself, that's provided for him anyway at the end of the passage. Actually, the word ministering commonly refers to providing food for someone. So it's likely that his first temptation, bread, food was provided for him at the end anyway. 
Even the third temptation to have all the power of the kingdoms of the world, Jesus receives in the end. Peter, his disciple, writes after his resurrection and ascension, Jesus has gone into heaven and he's at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. The devil relies on impatience. And how true is that for each of us as well? We live in a culture at a time of instant gratification. You know, I can buy, download any of a million books in a few seconds. I can sit on my sofa and, and flick through thousands of TV shows and films. I can listen to any song that I want just by using my phone. I can speak to a family member who's thousands of miles away just by dialing them. And how frustrated do we get when we have to unexpectedly wait for something? Not me, of course. I'm the exception. <laughs> no. There's a reason why patience and self-control are listed as two parts of the fruit of the Spirit. Impatience is a tool of the devil. Something that he uses against us. Sometimes his tactic isn't to tempt us to use to get something inherently bad, but to use impatience to tempt us to get it in the wrong way. In a way that God, want, God doesn't want us to get it. At, at a time when God doesn't want us to get it. I'm sure many of those who re reflect back over the times that they've given into temptation will we'll see certainly somewhere in the heart of that some kind of impatience. So that's a picture of, of who the devil is and what he does that we get in this passage. But then we also see a picture of who Jesus is and what he does. The most obvious part of what Jesus does is he resists this temptation. One after another. He doesn't, he doesn't give in to the first temptation. He doesn't give in to the second temptation. He doesn't give in to the third temptation. He continually resists and sees through the lies, the deceptions, the craftiness of the devil. I wonder if James, Jesus' brother, had Jesus' wilderness experience in mind when he later writes, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Because that's exactly what we see here. Jesus resists the devil and he flees from him. If you want to be assured of this promise then you look at the situation of Jesus. Uh, how, how do I know that the, the devil's going to flee if I resist him? Won't this just go on forever? Won't this temptation go on forever? But we see in Jesus' experience that that is true, that he proves it, that he went through it, he did it, and he shows his promise to be true. And it doesn't mean it will happen immediately. Jesus was tempted three times. It doesn't mean that we won't encounter him 
later. But the hope is, is there are ends to particular seasons of temptation. That when you resist, those temptations do come to an end. The second thing Jesus does lies at the heart of how he resisted temptation. You know, I think of the um, growing up at school, they would have some programs that we would go through, um, anti-drug programs, and the, um, the slogan was, just say no. But if only it was that easy. You know, my, my friends who have taken drugs and, and been grasped by them over the years, I'm not sure if that's the best advice. Just say, say no. It's a bit more complicated than that. And certainly, the entirety of Scripture testifies that temptation isn't as simple as just saying no. It's more complicated than that. It's more difficult. But here, we see at the heart of resisting temptation, at the root of it, is that Jesus trusts his Father. At the heart of resisting temptation is a trust in God. And we can only resist if we have a vision of something greater than ourselves. There's something greater than the temptation to grasp onto. You know, have you ever tried to, to give up a bad habit and you're just going to say, I'm just going to stop. And you don't try and replace it with anything. You don't come up with, with a plan or anything. You just say, no, I'm just going to stop. That hasn't gone too well for me, if I'm, if I'm honest. What happens is when I grasp onto a greater vision, that's something bigger than myself. Jesus didn't simply respond to the devil by, by quoting random verses of Scripture, as, as though that's special in and of itself. He actually shows a deep trust in his Father. Because trust in Scripture demonstrates a trust in God. You know, if you trust someone, you trust what they say. You trust what they say about themselves. You trust what they say about you. You trust their promises. Be a bit of an oxymoron if I told Kevin, you know, Kevin, you're my best friend and I really trust you, but I also think you're a pathological liar. The two don't go hand in hand. Trust shows itself in trusting, believing in, having faith in someone's words, their promises. This is why Scripture speaks again and again about the importance of faith. Not blind faith that isn't based on anything, that's unfounded by evidence, but simply trust. Trust in the same way that you trust your spouse who hasn't given you a reason to doubt them. Trust in your, in your best friend who you've seen pulls through time and again, who puts you above themselves. When we trust God's word that says Christ's power is perfected in weakness, when you are weak, then you are strong, then the devil's exploitation of our weaknesses fails. When we trust God's word that says every good and perfect gift comes from God, we can see through the devil's distortions. When we trust God's word that says, God is ruler over all, 
uh, only He can satisfy, only He can deliver, then we will understand that giving into temptation will never satisfy. But when we trust God's Word that says patience is a virtue of the Spirit, then we can see how we can be tempted through impatience. And finally, we see a picture here of who Jesus really is. You know, I struggled this week knowing how to finish this morning. Because I'm fully aware that there are some of you sitting here who are facing deep temptations in your life right now. And you're at breaking point and you don't know how much longer you can resist. Maybe you've already given in to temptation and now you're in this vicious circle and you're having to deal with the consequences of it and you don't know what to do next. And I want to give you some clear, practical advice. The first is find someone who can support you. Find someone to share this with. Find someone you can pray with, an accountability partner who you can talk through this with. There's a reason why the New Testament, the entire Bible, focuses so much on relationships the importance of community, on confession, on mutual support. Second, read the screw table letters by C.S. Lewis. This is classic work on how temptation works, what it can look like, and how you can resist it. And third, pray and don't give up. You even see in the life of Jesus here, in those temptations. He resists again and again. Jesus talks about um, a parable. And one of the gospel writers says that the parable, the purpose of it was to pray and, and not give up. Paul says elsewhere, pray without ceasing. But this passage doesn't leave us with just some practical advice. And that's not where I want to leave us this morning. These verses actually give us a different perspective. It pulls back the curtain of temptation. It gives us a greater vision that doesn't center around ourselves. We see a picture of who Jesus really is and what that means. And that's at the foundation of the entire Christian vision of temptation and our perspective towards it. It may not be the complete picture. Scripture has much to say about temptation. But it gets to the heart of the issue. Who Jesus is affects how we see temptation and how we respond to it. For someone familiar with the Old Testament, there are certain parts of this passage that just stick out. You see, okay, Jesus fasted for 40 days and, and 40 nights. And Israel, God's people, wandered for 40 years. Jesus fasted in the wilderness. And Israel wandered in, in the wilderness. Jesus is called the Son of God. Israel is referred to as God's Son. Jesus was tested. And Israel were tested as well. But unlike Jesus, Israel failed. 
the scriptures that Jesus quotes three times all come from this section in Deuteronomy chapter 6 to 8, which contain Moses' words to Israel near the end of their wandering. And it talks all about staying faithful to God. And yet, when you look at the rest of the, the story of the, New Test, uh, the Old Testament, and you trace that through, you see time and again that Israel failed to stay faithful to God. They rebelled against Him. They sinned against Him. They gave in to temptation. And isn't that true of us as well? Yes, we can watch out for temptations. But we must resist them. That's a calling that we have as followers of Christ. But also, that doesn't get to the heart of we've already given in to some temptations anyway. And that's why Jesus' response to temptation is such good news for us. Jesus is the new Israel. He's the Son of God, the true Son of God, who succeeded where we all failed. The one who, as Hebrew says, is able to sympathize with our weaknesses, who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet is without sin. The devil wants Jesus to prove that he's the Son of God. But by resisting temptation, he actually does exactly that. He proves that he's the true Son of God, the true Son of God who wouldn't use his power for selfish gains the true Son of God who is committed to obedience to the Father. Paul says in Philippians, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Matthew even records that while Jesus was being crucified, he was mocked with these words, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. It echoes the exact words of the devil. If you are the Son of God. And yet he didn't come down from the cross. And yet he didn't give in to temptation. Why would the Son of God go through this? Why would he go through this temptation? Why would he go through this suffering? Why would he go through this death? Because the true Son of God is also Jesus. The name that means Yahweh saves. God saves. As Matthew records just a, a few chapters earlier than our text, he's called Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And not just his people, but anyone who calls on his name. As it says in Hebrews, Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. He resisted temptation so that he could remain sinless and take our place so that we could be reconciled to God. He died to take away our sins. That's why he went through all of this. That's why it means so much that he resisted temptation. Not because he just sets us a good example for how to just say no to temptation, but actually because he solved the problem at the very heart of it. Hebrews continues, Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time. Our hope isn't just that Jesus has, has died and taken away our sins and that we've been forgiven if we call on his name, but also that he will return. 
And one day, as Revelation says, throw the devil into the lake of fire and sulfur, and with him all temptation. All temptation. And then he would take his people into eternity. No more temptation, no more crying, no more mourning, no more sin. Friends, temptation will come. But there is one who has gone before us to bear the cost of our failures. There's one who's resisted temptation and will help us resist temptation. There's one who will also one day bring an end to temptation. And that's the hope that we can have this morning. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, you yourself say just a couple of chapters later in Matthew's gospel about how we should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You were very acquainted with temptation. You have experienced temptation as we have. You're able to sympathize with us, Lord. You know what we have been through. You know what we're going through right now. Those of us sitting here who feel so alone because of our sin, because of our temptation, you know what we're going through. And so we ask for you to draw near to us. We ask for us to have the wisdom to to see who the devil really is. That he's the father of lies. That he's the tempter that he's the enemy. We ask for wisdom to see what he does, the tactics that he uses, and in turn, for us to be wise in response. We ask for you to help us to resist temptation. We ask, us, ask you to give us a greater trust in you, Father, and to grasp hold of that greater vision of who you are, of what you've done for us, to lead us out of temptation. But we thank you, Jesus, for what you have done and what that means about temptation. We know that there'll be a day when there's no more temptation. We know that if we call on your name, you will forgive us for our failures, for those sins, for those times we have given into temptation. And we thank you for that hope that we can have, Lord. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. We're glad to have you here. We've got tea and coffee at the back. And also, we have people available for prayer at the front. And so, if you would like to be supported in that way, please do come forward. Um, And also, I'll be available to chat as well. Let me pray for us to end the service. To the great one who has resisted temptation, the one who has remained sinless, we thank you for your sacrifice, Lord Jesus. We thank you that you resisted temptation that you suffered, that you were killed for us. We thank you that you can sympathize with our weaknesses, 
We thank you that you have led the way before us. And we thank you that you have given us an example of resisting temptation as well. And so we ask that we would be fully aware of your forgiveness and also fully committed to resisting temptation, to to bring glory to you as you had resisted temptation for us. And so I, I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning. May you comfort them. May you challenge them. May you encourage them. in this pursuit against the evil one. But we thank you that you have already won the war, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.